Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Today, we are in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. We've been looking at Jesus' commission to the disciples. He sent them away. John's disciples come to him, ask him a question about whether or not he is the one, and then they leave. And so Jesus is going to make a pronouncement that really has implications for you and I. What do you mean by that, George? Well, here's what I found. I'll just be honest with you. Here's what I found. I can't think of a person who's a Christian that really doesn't care if their friends, relatives, people they work with, or their neighbors know Jesus or not. Most Christians that I talk to want the people that are in their lives, in their social circles, the people that they rub shoulders with, to know Jesus as their Savior. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, that's, that's where we're at. We have a burden. Our heart breaks for them. We want to, and here's the thing, we want to know and we want someone, if we can't do it, we want somebody to come by to share the gospel. In fact, here's what we'll do. We'll even do this. I'll just call it what it is. Uh, We'll just have to, we're manipulators. What do you mean? Watching the ball game or the hockey game and and, uh, it's a commercial. Hey, do you mind if we channel surf a little bit? Channel surf and you come, oh, there's Charles Stanley. Boom. Let's listen to him for a second. And you're hoping that something Charles says maybe communicates to them, and your friend goes, can we get back to the game? You were hoping that somehow you would get their attention. You know what I'm talking about? You've done that, haven't you? You've tried the manipulation thing. Oh, we've got something special. Did you understand what I'm saying? You've tried it. Why, Why do we do that? Because we care. Do you understand? what? It's not necessarily the right thing. Not necessarily the right thing. Just go ahead and tell you right now. Not necessarily the right thing. But we do it because we care, because we want them to come to know Jesus. Why? Because we want them to know. But here's the difficulty. The difficulty, the struggle is we're reluctant to share. We've been burned. I call it burned because... We've been rejected. We've shared with them and they've had no interest. In fact, maybe there was even an ultimatum. Some of you have had an ultimatum. Don't ever talk to me about this again. You've had the ultimatum. And there's a reluctance. A couple things I want you to see about the reluctance. We're reluctant to be God's messengers. Listen, can I I help you with something here so that you understand something? I mean, I think if this is the first time you're going to hear this, I'm sorry it took this long for you to come to this conclusion. But here's the reality. You became a Christian not so that you just have eternal life. That's a byproduct. You became a follower of Jesus not just to be sure that your sins are forgiven. That's a byproduct. You became a Christian to be, listen to me, a messenger of God. 
to serve him, to be his servant. That's what he was doing when he died for you, is he wanted you to serve him. Forgiveness, that's important, but that's not just... See, when we look at forgiveness and eternal life, our focus is totally self-centered when we do that. But God doesn't want us to be self-centered. He wants us to be other-centered. Because you now are a messenger. Well, you're the messenger, George. You're the preacher. Forget that. That's, that's a job. That's a position. But all of us are called to share. Do you hear me? Write that down. All of us are called to share. But we're reluctant. We're reluctant. We, we are reluctant to be God's messengers. Let's just go ahead and say it like it is. Isn't that true? I mean, seriously. You know, if I, I do sometimes have to do handyman stuff because that's what you got to do. And sometimes I can, there have been times when I've had the hammer and I've smashed my thumb. Now that does not feel good, does it? So do you think the next time I'm using that hammer, I'm going to be careful? Because actually, no, I just want to keep smashing my thumb because that feels good, right? If I'm that way, please send me somewhere because that's not good. That's not good behavior. Listen, it doesn't take you getting rejected so many times before you decide, I'm not doing this anymore. Do you know what I'm talking about? What are you, some kind of holy Joe? Those kind of comments. It take, only takes so many of that before you decide, well, I'm just going to be quiet. I want them to come to Jesus, I'm just going to be quiet. You're reluctant. We can relate. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The opposition to our message impacts our desire to serve. That's what we see here. The opposition to our message impacts our desire to serve. Let's be honest. We have the desire to serve. We have the desire for our loved ones to come to know Jesus. We have the desire to do that. But when the heat turns on, when somebody's mad at us, when somebody's antagonistic to what we believe, we don't really want to say anything. Have you ever been in a situation at work and they talk about those crazy Christians on TV and the crazy stuff they're doing and you feel about this small and you're quiet and you don't want to identify yourselves with the nuts on TV? And let's, let's go ahead and say that. They are nuts. There are some people who are calling themselves Christian and they're doing things I mean, listen, I'm a pastor. I, I, there are guys who get on there and they say the craziest, let me just say, it's the stupidest stuff. And I'm like, did you have to say that? The opposition to our message impacts our desire to serve. Bottom line. Now let me tell you something before we go on into this passage. Here's something you need to know. God knows that. He knows your reluctance. He knows why you're reluctant. So let me just stop, okay? He knows it. Because we feel guilty, don't we? we? We know we should. We feel guilty. But we're, we're afraid. Fear is a big issue. And, and the reality is, I'm just going to tell you right now, God knows. God knows exactly what you're feeling. God knows exactly what you're dealing with. God knows exactly who you're dealing with. Can I say that? God knows who you're dealing with. Because you don't know him. and you don't. Yeah, God knows. 
And, no, and God knows it ain't easy. Okay? You want to write that one down? God knows it ain't easy. You can write the word ain't too. A-I-N apostrophe T, okay? All right? God knows it ain't easy. Here's what I want you to see. It's with this concept that's going on in our lives that we can come to this passage now, chapter 11, verse 7 through 19, and really understand what Jesus is getting at. So let me just read you the passage. Chapter 11, verse 7. And as they departed, he's talking about John's disciples. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it was written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there, are not, there, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence, violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is the one who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But what shall I like in this generation? It is like children sitting in a marketplace calling to their companions and saying, We played a flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and you said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, He is a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to take this passage, I'm going to divide it into two sections, and hopefully we can get something out of this for you and I that we can encourage ourselves with when we face the prospect of sharing with others. Okay? What we're going to do is we're going to look, first of all, at verses 7 through 15, and talk about the servant. We're going to look specifically at the servant of John, but there's some things that we can learn for ourselves about being a servant, okay? And then we're going to look at a lost generation. That's verses 16 through 19, a lost generation. Let's notice what Jesus is saying here about John. Look with me, verses 7 and 9. It, it seems almost kind of interesting what he says here. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see. He's talking to the multitudes because they would go out literally into the desert where John was to hear him preach. What did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? That was not the truth about John. 
talking about a wind shaken by the reed. You ever been down to Kerwinsville Lake and you see, 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 a, see some side of weed or, or a reed or something sticking out along the shore? Have you noticed that when the wind comes, it kind of goes wherever? That's what he's talking about. Did you go and see somebody who, who kind of blows wherever the wind's blowing? Did you go see somebody who's cushy, who's, who's pampered? No, you went and saw somebody with conviction. In fact, that's the point I want you to see here. The servant's actions reflect his character. They didn't see somebody who, they saw somebody who was strong in what he believed and didn't do it for himself. Wow, what a lesson for you and I if we're going to be servants of God, if we're going to be messengers of God. Here's the thing. If you're going to be a messenger of God, you and how you live your life needs to reflect who you are, your character. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because that's a lot of times, hey, let me just be honest with you, a lot of times the rejection that we receive about what we believe is because we don't live up to what we believe. Isn't that not true? And that's, especially, and that's why it's especially hard to, to uh, talk to family. I know I've been there. Talk to family. They bring up stuff that happens 30 years ago, like you didn't change in 30 years. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, I remember when we were teenagers and you did this. Yeah, and I was stupid back then, but I'm not stupid anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? And since that stupidity, I came to know Jesus and he changed me. But the problem is, is that maybe your character isn't expressed in your actions. See, when we talk about John, Jesus said, what did you go out to see? He saw a man who was a prophet. And how he lived his life and what he said reflected who he was. See, that's, that's a lesson for us, isn't it? Here's the second thing I want you to see about the servant. When we talk about who John was, and let's just everybody agree here, John the Baptist, pretty significant guy, right? Man of God, right? All of us would agree with that. All right. Let's talk about you. How do you think you are? Are you like John the Baptist? I see people shaking their head. What are you talking about, George? No way we're not like him. We're not like him. I got my stuff. Really? Look with me at what it says here. Verse 10 and 11. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But, that's a big word, isn't there, isn't it? But, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What's he doing here? Here's my second point. The insignificant are greater than John the Baptist in the kingdom. The insignificant are greater than John the Baptist. Here's what I want you to understand. Here's, here's what happens. We, we, let me just kind of, let me just stop for a moment. Let me put it in terms that you understand, because John the Baptist, well, he lived 2,000 years ago. All right, let's stop. Everybody recognize Billy Graham's a great man, right? I mean, his ministry's done. All right, Billy Graham's a great man. Now, Are you like him? Can you have the impact that he had? 
Everybody's saying, no, no, I'm not like him. No, man, he's, he's Billy. I'm me. Okay, if you look at it from a human perspective, yeah, you're right. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is what you need to grasp. Quit looking at it from a human perspective. Because here's the thing. You are the one God put where he put. In the family he put you, in the neighborhood he put you, in the workplace he put you, in the county where you live. He's the one who put you there. And you are the one to be his messenger in those areas. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you can have just as great a ministry as Billy Graham or even greater. And for some of you, it might be greater. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, we measure things like, well, I could never be like John the Baptist. Jesus said the insignificant are greater than John the Baptist in the kingdom. So you and I need to get that. But what are we worried about? Well, I don't have as much education as Billy does, or I don't have as much education as what you have, George. And what if they ask me some kind of weird question, and I don't know how to answer that? Tell them truthfully. Never thought about that. I'll look into that. Let's talk about something else. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Do you know what I mean? Like, stop for a moment. If you're a Steeler fan or an Eagles fan and we're talking about football and somebody says, well, why is this wide receiver doing that? And you don't know the answer. You don't go home and feel, oh, I don't know anything about that wide receiver. I should never even love football anymore. Do you do that? No, you're like, I'll check into that. By the way, I don't like him anyhow. I mean, you tell him like it is, right? Doesn't blow your week. I didn't answer that question about that wide receiver. Seriously. But when it comes to Jesus, you're like, I don't have that answer. Fine. Sometimes they're just asking questions for, for just the silliness of it. Sometimes that's not even the real question. See, the insignificant are greater than John the Baptist, Jesus is saying here about the servant. Here's what I want, so I want you to see. And this is the point you've got to grasp. I'll just read it. Here's what Jesus said. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What's going on here? Evil makes every attempt to suppress the message. You've got to understand that. If you want to, put a star by that. Listen, I'm just going to flat out tell you what it is. You're God's messenger. You're supposed to share with people. And understand this. Evil makes every attempt to suppress your message. So deal with it. Bottom line. Expect it. It's not weird. In fact, I would say this. If you're sharing the gospel and nobody's bothered, then that's weird. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you're sharing with people the reality of Jesus Christ and it doesn't bother people, then that's weird. Because not everybody's going to accept it. 
Your responsibility is to share. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is making that point here. Why are we doing this? Why do we need to share? Because that's what the next section is about. We've got a lost generation. We've got a lost generation. Look at now, Jesus is going to describe the generation in his day. Let's see if it talks about our generation today, okay? Look, look with me. Look at the first thing he says there, verse, verse uh, 16. Jesus says, what shall I like in this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace calling to their companions and saying, we play the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourn for you and you did not lament. Here's what Jesus is saying, very first thing about his generation. And as I was looking at this, I thought, man, nothing has changed. Nothing. Look at what he says here, very first thing. It's, it was a generation that responded like children. Now, parents, I'm sure your kids are perfect, okay? I know that there are families with perfect kids here who never have any problems, but I, I, have, I have four. I was trying to remember. I have four, okay? Okay? You can tell I've had four, all right? I have four. And, and, and there are times when, when it's like we're just kind of relaxing around. I'm bored. I'm bored. I don't have nothing to do. I'm bored. And it's like, you have nothing to do? No, I have nothing to do. I'm bored. I'm sorry, you're not getting on a device. I'm bored. That's what, a, that's what a Jesus' generation was like. Nothing satisfied them. In fact, that's the next point I want you to see there. Nothing, they were not pleased by anything. Have you ever had kids like that? No matter what you do, you just can't please them that day. I'm bored. You know, just go to bed. Start the day tomorrow. I mean, I don't, it's only two in the afternoon. I know, I know. You know what I'm saying? So here's what I'm trying to say to you. That's what Jesus' generation was like. Nothing pleased them. They had the men of God. They had John the Baptist. They had the Messiah themselves, Jesus. And, and, and they were doing, and nothing satisfied them. Sounds like our generation, doesn't it? I was talking with, I was talking with Rob this week, and we were remembering some of you don't realize this, but there was a time when there wasn't a color TV, okay? And and I can remember growing up having a big TV, actually a big cabinet with a little TV that was black and white. You guys remember those days? And I remember sometime in the mid-70s, they must have made them cheap for everybody to buy them. We got our first color TV with antenna arms. You know, the antenna, and we had an antenna. And, and my dad really invested in an electronic thing to make sure we got the signal. Some of, Rob was telling me about how the kids in his, his house, his family had to stand and take turns holding their arms out, holding, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? To get the signal. Now, how many remember those days? Okay. And you thought you were on top of the world. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Here we are, so many... The internet signal's not working. 
It interrupted my movie. We're not satisfied. God's not answering my prayers. We're not pleased by anything. That's the generation we live in. And listen, I'll be honest with you. You know it. You have friends who are in. Maybe you've been there. And they're going off. And they're, and they're into the alcohol. And they're into the drugs. And they're into workaholism and working for the company until the company gives them the pink slip. And, and they're into trying to find one relationship to another relationship to another relationship. Trying to find something that will satisfy their soul. But have you noticed that nobody is pleased by anything anymore? It's a lost generation. Lost generation. So here's what Jesus says. Look at what he says. Verse 18. For John came eating neither, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man, it's talking about himself, came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by their children. Here's the final point, and here's what you need to grasp. True wisdom is found in the results. This is why you've got to share. True wisdom is found in the results. Here's the thing. Can I be honest with you? That description of this generation... Man, that is, that is so true, isn't it? Nobody is pleased by anything. They are destroying themselves. We are destroying ourselves trying to find some sort of satisfaction that we cannot find. And you and I, you're watching loved ones destroy themselves. You're watching your neighbors destroy themselves. You're watching people that are around you destroying themselves. And you have the message because you know that the one thing that truly satisfies the soul is the person of Jesus Christ. See, true wisdom in finding Jesus Christ is found in the results of what it does. It's called change lives. Do you understand what I'm saying? So is it hard? Yes. Is it going to be difficult? Yes. Are people going to be antagonistic? Yes. But you share. You say, I'm insignificant. Well, then great. You're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? You say, I'm insignificant. Yes. But then you're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Share. Share. Talk to others about Jesus. Listen, I am so thankful that a guy by the name of Ray, who was in my was a fellow engineering student at the University of South Carolina with me, decided he did a couple things. I had no clue he did this. Went to his church, put me on a prayer list, pray for this guy named George that's in class with me. And then he did something simple like invite me to a Bible study. And it was because of that Bible study, I came to know Jesus. You have your own stories. 
You have your own stories of how you came to know. And aren't you glad, and I can almost guarantee you, in every one of them, somebody was involved. Aren't you glad they were a servant? Now you be a servant. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.